Amen. <laughs> I was careful not to turn the mic on or, or, you know, during the amen song. Um, didn't want you to be scared right up front. So it is so good to be here today and to be sharing together in God's word. And I am so confident that God has a word for you specifically. Have you ever heard God speak a word to you and you knew it was specifically for you? And then, I don't know about you, then you start wondering, okay, that's for me. How does that work out in my life? How's it applied? What's the timing? What's going to, I don't know if you've ever had that, um, but what I've just described can actually be our daily experience as we read the Word of God. Realize that this is His Word for you. That his word, when we open up the pages and we read scripture, that God is speaking his divine word specifically to you and for you. And one of the best things we can do is say, okay, God, I acknowledge that this is your voice speaking to me. How does it apply to my life? How do you want to work it out in my living? And as, as I look at those questions, I was drawn to a specific time where I knew that God had spoken his words to me like a specific verse. And it happened through a church bulletin, believe it or not. On the cover, there was a portion of the scripture, and it caught my eye, and, and it, I was drawn to it. It was just a portion of the scripture. But I turned to the scripture, and it was Ezekiel 37, 14. It was right after the valley of dry bones, and these words came. God spoke, and he said, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I have done it, declares the Lord. It's a scripture, but I knew that scripture was specific, like God was speaking that scripture to me. And so, so what followed was, okay, God, I, I understand what those words say, but how do they apply to my life? How is this going to flesh itself out? So... You know, for one thing, I knew already God had put a spirit in me, but yet this is a, a, a divine move of God doing something supernaturally, and I was, I was just, again, seeking God, show me how this is going to work out, but specifically said, I will put my spirit in you, and you, will, and, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Now, up to that point, my land had been here, Southern New York County, all my life, and I was like, okay, God, are you saying that that this is the land that you're settling me in, or is there another land that you're going to call us to? And as a family, we were, we were seeking God's direction, and we didn't know if God may be calling us to another place. But if he was, I was confident that if he was calling us to some other place, that, that he would settle us, and that would be our land. So I knew the word was for me, but like, how, how does God want to fulfill this? And then what happened in the course of time is that I was contacted by Pastor Jeff Smith from Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury. And what happened was is that we met uh, for lunch. And when I was looking at timing of this, it's crazy the way God works. This story came to my mind. I was thinking back on Tuesday. It'll be exactly 10 years to the day that Pastor Jeff and I had lunch. And he rolled out, he rolled out to me the vision of York Regional Dream Center. And he explained what was happening, and he invited me because he was wondering if there's a chance that the church that I was with could partner with and be part of what God was, was birthing and what God was doing. That was on a Thursday. 
I couldn't tell him at that moment that three days later, it was going to be announced that as of the end of the year that we would no longer be serving at the church where I had been for my whole life. I couldn't tell him at that point. But later, I was able to share. And then we continued to seek, God, how do you want to fulfill this scripture? And God miraculously opened the door that a few months later, on January 1st of 2013, I was able to begin serving here on staff at Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. And God settled us in our own land. It's only God. Only God. Now, I gave you a very abbreviated version. A lot more details happened. A lot more things were going on. And, but the thing is, is that I knew that God's word was going to be fulfilled. I didn't know how. I was listening to what he said, but I wanted him to do it. I didn't want to direct it. I wanted to discover how God's word was to be filled out in our lives. And we knew, we knew that God had settled us in our own land, that he had spoken it, and he had declared it, he had done it. It was his work. And that's what, as we look at the story today, we're going to see how God's word is being fulfilled in Jacob's life. And as we're doing that, we want to, we want to together be listening, asking these questions and listening for answers. What is God speaking to me? I just, just would you repeat, repeat that with me? What is God speaking to me? What is God speaking to me? Be asking that question as we're going through this. What is he doing as far as leading me? How will, he fu- how will he fulfill his word? How will I allow him to fulfill his word in his way, his time for his glory? So these are the things that we're going to be looking at as we walk through these scriptures. And it's, it's, hang on, it's an incredible journey. So I'm going to do a really quick rewind um, to what got us to where we are in, this, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we have Jacob, the, the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're, we're following Jacob's life, and we have him now. He's left his homeland. Uh, he was sent out to get a wife, and he was sent back to the place that, that Abraham and Sarah had come from. Uh, but he left out of fear because he had cheated his brother Esau. He had deceived his father. His father still blessed him and sent him out. Uh, But he left in fear. He was fleeing from Esau, and he was going to this homeland. And last week, we saw that God miraculously, God in his provision, guided him, led him uh, to Laban, that's his uncle, to that family, uh, to Rachel. And we saw just just some beauty and ugly last week. Um, So so what happened was, again, we'll just touch on this quickly, is that that he sees Rachel. He knows that God is in this. Uh, That's Laban's one daughter. Uh, they make an arrangement, work seven years, you can marry her, uh, and then Laban, Uncle Laban switches on the wedding night and throws in Leah instead of Rachel because she's old, the older daughter. And So go back and listen to that if you want the details. But, but what happened is, is that there was a lot of tension. There was the comparisons. It was the, um, you, you know, there's two sisters, Rachel and Leah now are both married to Jacob. And then we ended the chapter um, last week uh, with, uh, with this, uh, the start of having children. Uh, so they were both married to Jacob, but Rachel was barren, and Leah was just like popping out sons left and right, okay? So she had three sons, and then we, but, but every time that she was having a son, she was desiring to be loved and to be accepted by her husband. She was looking for fulfillment on the horizontal. And finally, when the fourth son, son came, she named him Judah and said, now I will praise the Lord. That her, her, her attention turned vertical, and say, God, I will exalt you. I can't, 
There are things that, that only God can meet in my life. So God, I'm looking to you and I'm trusting you and I'm not trying to allow those things to be filled by somebody on the horizontal level. Uh, so that's where we were last week. Now, we're going to say something to me. It's a miraculous thing. It's just trusting God for a miracle. Today, we're covering two chapters. <laughs> I love that you guys think that's funny. <laughs> Uh, because we have been going like verse, to, verse by verse, right? And we like to do that. And I like to put almost, a, a lot of times, I like to put all the verses up on the screen. We're covering chapter 30 and 31, and here are the, all the verses up on the screen, okay? <laughs> Truly, as you zoom in, you can read every verse, okay? 98 verses, 43 in chapter, in chapter 30, 55, and 31. So we're going to do kind of a walkthrough, run-through, flyover, but what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you some of the story, but I want to encourage you to read it. If, 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 if that feels like too much to read, put it on play, okay? BibleGateway.com, it'll, it'll read it to you, and in 14, 15 minutes, you have all, you know, both chapters covered. But you drill down in yourself. I'm going to do some flyover and hit some high points, and then we're going to hit certain verses and dig deep. So all these verses in 30 and 31, I'm going to back up to chapter 28, this is the foundational verse as we're going through this. I want, to see, want you to see how the word of God had come to Jacob and it's being fulfilled in 30 and 31. This is when he was on the way to Canaan. He's still in, in, or on the way to, uh, to Laban's home. He's still in Canaan. God appears to him in the dream. And this is part of what God says to, to Jacob. He confirms the covenant and he says this, I will be with you and will watch over you Wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. The promise of God, the foundation that he could hold on to. Listen to what, I am with you. I am, that's present right now. And right now. And right now. I am with you, and I will be with you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I fulfilled these promises to you. doesn't mean that when the promises are fulfilled, God bails. That's not what he's saying. He said, I'm going to fulfill this in your life. You can stand on this. You can walk in this. You can know that it's true. So we're going to go back and just cover those last five verses of 29 because they flow right into 30. And what we're going to see in chapter 30 are two primary things happening. Jacob's family is being grown and his possessions are being grown. His family and his possessions Okay, so we saw last week how family started to grow. Remember, there was tension between the two wives, who were sisters. Uh, Rachel, the beautiful one that Jacob loved, and Leah, um, the one that had to be tricked to be married. You know, I mean, or trickery had to be used. But what happens is God blesses Leah, and last week we saw that Leah had four children, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Remember, Judah means praise, and it's through Judah that, that King David comes, through Judah that Jesus comes. Leah didn't know that, but the one that was despised, that was outcast, that was not loved, that was seeking love, is the one that Jesus comes through. That's hope for us, isn't it? When we feel nobody cares, I want love, I'm not getting it, God sees you, and God will reveal himself through you. The life of Jesus is meant to come through you, through each and every one of us. So what happens, Leah's having these, these four kids. Rachel's barren. She can't have kids. So she comes up with an idea. Hey, Jacob, I'm going to give you my servant. Have babies through her so it'll be like it's really through me. So what happens, um, Billah, 
the, her servant, is given to Jacob, and she has two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Well, now Leah hasn't been having kids, so she says it's time to catch up more, even though Leah's still in the, ahead in the count, right, four to two. So, but then Leah, Leah gives her servant to Jacob, and through that servant, Zilpah, there's two, two kids, Gad and Asher. Now, if you notice, these are all tribes of Israel. God's using this whole mess to create his, the tribes of Israel, okay? This is the way it's happening. God uses our, our, our brokenness and our messed up uh, living to, to bring great things about. So then, after that, there's a weird story. Um, and what happens is that uh, Reuben was out in the field. He found, finds some mandrakes, brings them back. And um, mandrakes are thought, so this might help you understand when you're reading on your own. Mandrakes were thought, thought to help with fertility. And Rachel sees Reuben bringing the mandrakes into Leah, and Rachel says, I want the mandrakes because she hasn't had kids. Leah said, I'll give you the mandrakes, but I'm going to sleep with her husband tonight. Honestly, that's what it says, okay? So what happens is that Leah, Rachel gets the mandrakes, Leah gets the husband, and guess who has the baby? Okay, so Leah now has now three more children. She has Issachar, Zebulon, and then a daughter, Dinah. Okay, so family's growing, Okay. So this is what's happening. Family's growing. Rachel still has not had a child. But in Genesis 30, verse 22, Scripture says, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Now, we've seen that term before, God remembered. And it doesn't mean that God's ever forgotten. You know, there, sometimes there's, there are words that, that, uh, that we understand from a human context. They're applied to God, but to God they're applied in a different way because God doesn't forget. He, may, he does not remember our sins against us, but God knows all, he's all-knowing. And he can separate things from us. That, that when we've been forgiven our sins, they are removed from us. In God's memory, that is not attached to us anymore. We need to hear that. We need to walk in that truth. But when, it re- when, when Scripture says he remembered, we've seen this two other times already in Genesis, it means that God looked, he saw, and he's moving. And when he remembered Rachel, she had a son, and his name is Joseph. Joseph is going to move into the foreground very soon, and he's going to finish out uh, the book of Genesis. But this is the family growing. And then <clears throat> moving on, looking at, at verses uh, 25 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can read along. I'm going to read uh, these scriptures to you. Genesis 30, beginning with verse 25, it says this, that after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, listen to this, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Remember the promise. God said, I will bring you back to your land. So Jacob is, is talking to his uncle and saying, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Laban says, I know that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. Flag should have gone up right there, because I don't know if you remember, that was uh, the offer when uh, the seven years was set up. Uh, with Rachel. But Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. Listen to this. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. So Jacob isn't saying, like, I've been like a super cool guy, like I've done all the right things, and, and this has happened to you. No, he's saying it's because of God's blessing on me. Remember, Jacob is walking in that promise when God says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. 
He's, he's declaring this promise as a testimony. Like, Laban, you're being blessed because God's with me. It's not about me. It's about God with me. Okay, so he's, he's given credit to the proper place. Then the rest of the chapter is really strange. It sounds like some weird things with, uh, with um, breeding, and it is. It's just strange. Uh, Jacob asked for speckled and spotted sheep and goats and the dark-colored lambs so that he can breed and raise them. But what happened was is that God just blessed Jacob like crazy. And, and, you know, there's some techniques, and people have looked at it and studied it and, and say there's nothing scientific about what Jacob did. In the next chapter, we'll find out that Jacob, what's, what's significant about it is that Jacob was following what God had told him to do. And God blessed it and increased. So, Jacob had a bunch of kids. The first part of the chapter, he has a bunch of kids, goats, in the second part of the chapter. Okay. So, family grows, possession, possessions grow. And look what what it says at the end of the chapter. In this way, the man Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. This guy 20 years ago had come in with just a staff. And look at what God has done in and through his life. When it says that, uh, that he was exceedingly prosperous in the Hebrew, it literally says the man burst out exceedingly, exceedingly. Like God was moving powerfully in his life. So now we move into... Chapter 31. See, we just did 43 verses. 55 to go. Okay. Truly, there's 55 verses. Uh, Genesis 31. I want you to look at these few scriptures. So we're just going to take certain scriptures and we're going to talk around uh, what's around the scriptures and how they apply to us. So looking at verse 3, Genesis 31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, remember we heard, uh, we were talking about the specific word, God speaking to us. This is God specifically speaking to Jacob. Uh, Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So he's saying, here's coming the fulfillment of that promise. Go back to your land, and I'm going to be with you. Then in verse 17, Jacob put his children and his wives on camels. He drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Haram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. So here we... We have Jacob hears a word from God, and he's walking in obedience to the word of God. And the first point that I'd like for us to take from Jacob's life right now and apply to us is this. As you walk in God's promises, follow his directions. It seems so simple. But as you walk in God's promises, follow his, God's directions. We've seen before how the family didn't do this so well where Abraham had the promise of God, but after so many years of nothing happening, he tried to make his own directions, right? And that happens with us so many times. And again, we're looking at scriptures and we forget that there's years here and it's tough. Where this sounds like such a simple statement, it's a simple statement, but it's challenging and it can be very difficult to follow. But as we walk in God's promise, follow his directions. So how did Jacob know what to do? God had spoken a specific clear word to him, right? How do we know what to do? How do we know what his directions are for our lives, the specific things that he wants for us to do? Let's look at some of the things that happened in Jacob's life, and and then we're going to see how, again, first of all, how he heard from God, how he knew it was God so that he would know what directions to follow. Now, these sometimes happen in our lives in all these ways. Sometimes it's just some of the ways. But I want to look at what happened. First of all, there was a desire that was put in his heart. After Joseph was born, he wanted to go back. So a lot of times God will put a seed of something in our hearts or in our minds. 
Now, is that always of God? No. It could be pepperoni pizza the night before. You know, I mean, there's things that, that, that come, come to us, and we don't know the source always. But God will often put a, a desire, a seed in our hearts. When I talked about the Dream Center, this has been a fulfillment of something I dreamed for years, even before Grace Fellowship was started. And many other people. There was a seed of something. We didn't know what it was going to look like. But there's a seed, there was a desire. Sometimes God will plant a seed within our hearts. It's a thought, it's a God thought. But it needs to be weighed out. Another thing that happened is that it happened with Jacob and can happen with us is that life situations may help direct us. So at the beginning of the chapter, 31, it says that, that because Jacob was getting rich and all this thing was happening, Laban's sons were envious of Jacob, and Laban was, was, had a different look toward him. He was seeing Jacob in a different way. Sometimes our situations then help provide that direction. Now, it doesn't mean that when, we get, when it gets hard, we bail. And we're going to see that Jacob didn't do that. Uh, Jacob toughed it out for a long time. But sometimes situations in life will start to direct us. Even as I said at the beginning, you know, I, I met with Jeff and, and God was in the process of changing situations that were helping fulfill his specific directions for our life. So, so the situations will, you know, God will use the situations to help direct us. Ultimately, we need to hear God's direct word to us. So that does mean that God can speak something like, like and I don't know how many people have heard God's voice specifically, I don't know that I've ever had, have heard him audibly in my mind or with my ears, but I know there are times when I know that, that I'm sensing something, I'm hearing something, it's a thought, and I know it's God. But again, the greatest way that that happens is right here. We need to be in his word. We need to be seeking out his word. This is the inspired word of God. And so many times when we're reading, it's like all of a sudden that just jumps out. And it's like, I know that that's God's word for me. So we need to be listening for and following the word of God. Now, if you hear something in your mind, sense something in your heart, and you think, man, that's from God, always weigh it against this. It will not contradict. It will carry the character, the nature in God. God will not speak something for you that is against him and who he is. And then there can be confirmation from others. This doesn't always happen. I have a close friend that, 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 you know, he was feeling really called by God in certain ways in his life, and it was hard for anybody to understand, but, but I really believe that God was assuring him that, that I'm speaking and, and you need to follow. But often there will be confirmation from friends, and we want to hear a miracle. In chapter 31, read it. Leah and Rachel agreed. That's something you should pay attention to. Leah and Rachel agreed. They're saying... God said it, we're going with you. They're leaving their home. And they're in agreement. And this is confirmation that God has spoken. But be sure to give God time for, for the peace and the clarity that you need. Because so often, you know, we ask, and it's like, I didn't hear anything from you, God, so I'm just going to go, you catch up. We don't say that, but we do it all the time. Because there's often things that need to come into alignment, that need to come together before we'll have that clarity to move. But we need to follow his directions. Next, let's, let's look at verse 9. So God has taken, Jacob is speaking to, to his wives, so God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. A very simple truth I want that's here and in other scriptures, and it's this. As you walk in God's promises, discern his provision. He said again, God has done this. God has brought the blessing. It is him. 
As we walk in the promises of God, we need to, dis- to discern his provision. We need to see how God has been providing and give him the credit. We need to, it's, it's so important that we see his hand working. Jacob had acknowledged this in the birth of his children, that it was the, it's God who, who opened up the womb. It's, it's God that, that caused this, causes this to happen. Uh, he knew it was God that gave him instructions about breeding. Again, what is accounted for at the end of chapter 30 is explained in 31. He had a dream, and in that dream, he was told what to do, and God blessed it. So he was acknowledging God is the source. Both, listen to this, both Laban, deceiving uncle, and Jacob recognized that Laban was being blessed by God because of Jacob working for Laban. They both were acknowledging this is God's provision. Later in 31, Jacob's going to recognize that God protected him from Laban. It was God's provision, provision of protection from Laban because God spoke to Laban in a dream. So how, we can, how can we discern God's provision? I believe the first thing is that we need to thank God for the clear provision that is around us. And this is something that God's been growing me in. Um, so the thing is, so often we're saying, God, why did you do this? And we're questioning him when often it's not God's hands doing it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. Look at what's happening. If it's steal, killing, and destroying, he's not the source. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If it's good, it's God. We need to recognize that. We need to give him credit. We need to understand this is by his provision. And, you know, for me... One of the basic things that God really helps remind me, he reminds me daily about this. It's just thanking him for the provision of life. I said earlier that, that he sustains all things by the power of his word. The fact that we are alive right now is, is the divine work of God's hand. Do we believe that? We need to thank him for the provision of life, eternal life, salvation that we have. It's his provision. It's his gift of life. I can't earn it. He's provided through Christ forgiveness of sin. He's deposited within me the Holy Spirit. I'm his. It's his provision. Look at our food. Are we recognizing, God, this is by your hand? Do I think it's my hand that's brought that food? It's through my labors, but who gave me strength for the labors? You know, that we miss that God is the provider. We need to recognize his provision for strength, for health. None of us would be here apart from the provision of God. We would not have the energy, the desire, the strength, the, the, the focus to be able to come here this morning or even to join online. It's the provision of God that, that is working in our lives constantly. And the more that we thank God for his provision, the more we see his provision. I'm telling you, when I think a thought and I realize that's God's thought, like, like, I know that, that that's something I wouldn't have thought, like, last week. Just in how I'm seeing something, how I'm seeing a situation. I, th- I want to thank him. Like, I said, God, like, I know that wasn't me. Thank you for giving me that thought. Thank you for giving me strength. Thank you for giving me freedom from things that have held me in bondage. Can we thank God for that provision? Thank him for what he is doing. Walk in that confidence. Thank him regularly. Again, the more we thank him for his provision, the provision that we see, the more we'll see how he's providing. So what happens now is that Jacob takes off. He's called back to his land. He takes off. 
almost as a thief escaping. He doesn't tell Laban. He leaves the land, and, he, uh, and Laban chases him down. Laban catches up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Now, a little bit of, um, of just geography here. Where they were at in Padan Aran was, was really the northern part of Iraq in today's geography. And they were heading to Canaan. Now, you remember, uh, Canaan is where Esau is. So Jacob's about to come face to face with his brother, and there's problems there. So they're in between Gilead, almost in Canaan. So you could really say that Jacob was now between a rock and a hard place. Okay. The only thing I'm sad about is that I didn't think of that. I heard it from somebody else. But, um, but this is where Jake, Jacob is found by Laban. And what happens then is that, um, that Laban comes in and he's searching for his gods. Somebody had stolen his gods, which were like little figurines. You can read about it. He couldn't find them uh, because his daughter, Rachel, had taken them. And then she, the little deceiver, her, she hides them and he never finds them. But he does a search, and, and Jacob didn't know about it, okay? But Laban searches for the gods, can't find them. Then there's like this verbal interchange, which is really like a legal discussion. There's this uh, controversy, this discussion between Laban and, uh, and Jacob, um, Laban makes this claim, like, if you would have told me you were leaving, we would have had a party, we would have celebrated. I doubt it. In fact, I'm pretty certain that wouldn't have happened. Uh, but here's what happens. Then Jacob takes Laban to task. And listen to what Jacob says. In verse 38, I have been with you for 20 years. Now listen to what he describes. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring your animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. You demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. These are all like really harsh treatments by Laban, and Jacob took it. Jacob did it. This was my situation. Listen to this. The heat consumed me in the daytime, the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years that I was in your household. Let that sink in. What he's just described. It was like this for 20 years in your household. I worked for, for you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. And he is not saying you gave me raises. Okay? If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed, but God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. What do we see here? Something miraculous, and it's this. As we walk in God's promises, we need to develop godly character. As we walk in God's promises, we need to develop godly character. There were so many things that were beyond Jacob's control. What was not beyond his control was his submitting to the work of God in his formation. This is a deceiver. And now we see such honor in him. In fact, in, in, verse, in chapter 30, he had even said that my honesty is going to be a testimony to what I said, that I'm going to do it. He's leaning on his honesty. That, that God was working such a work in Jacob's life that he served in this way, the deceiver served in this way, for these 20 years. This is miraculous, but it's a transforming work of God. And it can only happen by God's provision. I want to ask you, could any of us have lived the way that Jacob just described under the same circumstances? Think about that. I've read some commentaries that still slam Jacob, but I look at his life and like, in those circumstances, 
Jacob did very, very well in living godly character. Could you and I have done it? Here's what I know for certain. That if you were put in that situation, by God's grace, you could. And this is what we need to know. Is that whatever we find ourselves in, God will give us the grace that we need to develop godly character. Our situation is not greater than God in us. And if I can't change my situation, I can still change and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let this situation be an excuse. Let it be something that God uses. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. It's not unique to you. Accept what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. God gives us what we need when we need it. We look at somebody else's life, it's like, how in the world can they do that? How can they live the way that they did? The grace of God. Look at your situation. How can you live in a godly way? The grace of God. The same thing. Stand in his promises. You're walking in his promises. Develop godly character. Was Jacob perfect? No. He actually deceived. It says he deceived when he left without telling Laban. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he had made incredible progress. And the thing is, is that when we make pro- even when we make progress, there are moments when we may relapse. What do we do with that? Ask forgiveness. Get up. Walk on. Say, God, here I am afresh. Do a fresh work in me. Now, Laban gives this counterpunch. And this, he says, Laban answered Jacob, the, woman, or the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine, yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children, the children they have born? Watch this. When we walk in God's promises, don't listen to the deceiver. Laban was laying claim to things that were not his. He was clearly saying, these are my daughters, these are my possessions, and they were not. And can I tell you, the enemy of your soul is trying to lay claim over things in your life that do not belong to him. Don't listen. Don't listen. You need to rebuke the enemy. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So many times, we're hearing these voices, and it's the voice of the accuser. He's accusing us before, before God day and night, and he's accusing your soul. He's, he's coming against you. Don't listen to the voice of the deceiver. He's a liar. Stand on the truth. Embrace this word. Allow who you are to be defined by, by this word, the word, living word of God. Don't listen to the voice of the deceiver. He's a liar. But you have the truth. If you're, if you're God, you have the truth living within you. And finally, come the last few verses. Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap. They've built this. And here is this altar I've set up between you and me. The heap is a witness and this pillar. So they came to an agreement. The heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to, to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. They came to an agreement. Even though the deceiver lied, he backed down because it was, he, he, was, he was in the wrong. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So he established this heap, this heap of stones is a witness of what has just been said, this agreement that we've reached, and it's a boundary. You don't go past it, I don't go past it. Here's what we need to do. As we walk in God's promises, establish wise boundaries. Those boundaries were appropriate. Those boundaries were appropriate. We need to ask God, what is it that you want me to draw this line and to stand on this? God, show me, lead me, guide me, and I will, st- I will walk within these boundaries. And this is often called the Mizpah benediction. In this it says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when, you, when we are away from each other. It's often an exchange of friends or a benediction over a congregation. It's actually this. It's not real friendly here. It's saying, God's got you. <laughs> He's going to protect. He's going to watch so that you don't do what, what, what you're saying you won't do. And the thing is that we need to establish clear boundaries in our lives. We need to allow God to give us wisdom so that we walk in the way that he would have us to walk. And he will show us. He will guide us. So these are things that Jacob heard from God. They walked in his promises. And we're going to get to hear some other story. And I want to invite my sister Chris Sizek up. And she's going to share um, some of her story and how she has walked in the promises of God and seen his provision. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay, good. I just felt prompted before. You can hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? (laughs) Just felt prompted in my seat before I share my story to look around at you for a minute. I've had such a privilege to sit with many of you and hear your stories intimately. Some of us have cried together, we've laughed together, and I'm just so grateful for the privilege to sit with you and to share some of my story. At our last Good Friday service, I shared a brief portion of my story. I'm grateful to have been asked to share a little more with you now, and in order to articulate it clearly, I'm just gonna read it to you. In my family, 75% of my grandparents were Jewish. My mom was Protestant, and my dad, though raised Jewish, was atheist. He didn't believe in God, so I call myself a spiritual mutt. Growing up, we celebrated the traditions of Hanukkah and Christmas, Passover and Easter, and I was taught to be a good person. We didn't talk much about God, and we didn't go to church, but I prayed every night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless Mommy, Daddy, Jenny, David, and Mark. There was always this sense of God existing, He just didn't have form, and as I got older, I looked for him. I I looked for him in Catholic and other churches. I looked for him in synagogues. I looked for him with Buddhists and with Hare Krishnas, and for a long time, I called myself agnostic because I couldn't reconcile the God that I wanted to believe in with the humans who followed him. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about him, but if he was as flawed as the unkind humans, I knew who followed him, I didn't want any part of it. I've always had a heart for people who got a raw deal, you know, the disabled, the hurting, the poor, the abused, the misunderstood. I've always been drawn to them, probably because I saw myself in them in some ways. 
I studied psychology in college and both before and after earning my master's degree, I worked with people with traumatic brain injuries and those with severe dementia. I worked with kids from broken homes surrounded by gangs and drugs in Baltimore and New York cities and families in crisis. And I knew I was made for this. Growing up in my family, I had several examples of wives who were dependent on their husbands for many things and primarily dependent financially and emotionally. I use this word intentionally, dependent. And in these particular examples, the husbands weren't taking their lead from God. They were in complete control. From an early age, I was determined that I wasn't going to depend on a man to meet my needs. Now, I hadn't yet gotten to the place where I was ready to depend on God. But I was going to depend on myself, not a husband. And while this felt like strength at the time, I now realize it was fear-driven self-reliance. When I would get married, I would have control over what happened to me. I would have say, fear-driven, self-reliance. I met my husband in high school, and he was everything I was looking for, kind, interesting, and he gave me just about all the say. When I'd ask his preference, he'd ask what mine was and go with that. I now know this to be something called codependency, which is unhealthy, but at the time, this was very different from what I had grown up with, and I was all in. While he was raised in the church, um, he felt very similarly to me, and we looked for God together. We got married on our nine-year dating anniversary, and shortly thereafter, we moved to southern York County and thought it was time to get serious about this God thing. So we began attending a church. God gave me an aha moment when talking to the youth pastor there. I was telling him how I didn't understand how people who followed God could be so unlike him. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, Chris, you can't judge Christ by the Christians. They'll fail you every time. This was it. This was the turning point for me. Oh, he's not them. He's different. He's perfect. He's God. Soon after that, my husband and I prayed the sinner's prayer together. We got baptized outside in a pond on a farm on Independence Day and began serving together. As I told young kids the story of David and Goliath in Sunday school, I was reading it for the first time myself. God knew that I was prideful and needed humbling, so one of the first books I read after becoming a Christian was The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. The first line is something like, it's not about you. And the first book of the Bible that God had me read was Job, of all books, Job. And, and, God's, and as God said it to Job, he said it to me. Did you create the heavens and the earth, Chris? Do you tell the waves how far to go out before returning to the shore, Chris? No? then you are not God. You won't know everything, and there are things about me that you will have to accept on faith. Whew, faith. That was a hard one. At first, I didn't feel secure in this trusting God thing. Remember, fear-driven self-reliance. Over time, however, God proved himself faithful. In 2006, we had our little girl, Sarah, who is 16 now. I'm teaching her to drive. Please pray for me. And while she's healthy now, she wasn't then. She was diagnosed as failure to thrive, and we thought she was dying. She had digestive issues that were pretty scary, and also during this time period, I was working part-time at a counseling agency that had to lay off all of its part-time therapists because of the recession our economy was in. So for the first time since the age of 12, I wasn't working. I wasn't earning. I had to trust that I would be taken care of. So in 2010, when I discovered that my husband had been unfaithful, you can imagine how devastated I was. 
Not only was trust broken with the only person I had been with since the age of 16, I found myself in the place I told myself I would never be, dependent on a husband for what felt like everything. How did that happen? And I thought I could fix it. Fear-driven self-reliance. I was fearful but determined. We went through counseling with a few counselors, and it was during this time that I landed at Grace Fellowship right here in these seats, heartbroken, but determined to make it work. We were in house church together when the elders were rolling out the Dream Center in 2011. That's when Pastor Jeff and I first met. I was sharing my, about my heart for an experience with the broken, beaten down people when he looked at me and said, who are you and how come I don't know you? <laughs> he invited me to start an adoptive lock ministry at Grace and I said, my marriage is falling apart and I'm looking for a job and I don't know what's going to happen. And he said, in Pastor Jeff fashion, just do what you can. I asked the prayer team to pray for an adoptive lock leader today and I think you're it. So I started leading Adopt-A-Block in 2011, and a few months before my, oh, and that was happening a few months before my husband chose to leave. I still thought I could fix it, though. During this time, I was hired as a staff member at Grace, and we started counseling with Pastor Jeff and Tracy. For four years, my husband was unfaithful, and I was hopeful. I had no idea how deceived I was. And after quite some time, years, years. When he decided not to move back home and to continue his relationship with another woman, I decided to file for divorce. Pastor Jeff and I cried together and he said, I want you to know that you have my covering as a staff member of Grace Fellowship. I've seen how you fought for your marriage and it's him moving away from it, not you. And this meant the world to me. I want to talk for a minute about how hard it was, how dark it was, I remember many times crying on the basement floor, trying to hide my devastation from my then five-year-old daughter, crying out to God, asking why, crying every Sunday morning at church, but not wanting to dishonor the man who was my husband. No one knew because I kept it hidden well. There was one night where I was up the whole night and the only thing I could say was Jesus, 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 all night long, and I didn't hear anything back. I felt so alone and abandoned, and the voice of the enemy was so loud. It said things like, you are ugly and unattractive. You are not her. You will never be good enough for him or anyone else. You deserve to be alone because all of the things wrong with you, and I made a good long list of all the things wrong with me. You are always going to feel this pain, this sadness. You are abandoned. You are alone. You will not get through this, and I'm not being dramatic when I say it was treacherous. I never had ambitions to work at a church. I thought I'd be counseling in an office somewhere, but God knew what he wanted for me. He knew that he had a specific place for me at a specific time in my life and in a specific time in the lives of others. This place, Grace Fellowship, has been a place of healing for me. It's a place where God helped me to see that he wanted to replace my fear-driven self-reliance with faith-driven God-reliance. To the voice of the enemy, people spoke John 10.10 10, 10 over me. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
In addition to having people who loved God, like my mom and my sister in my life, reminding me of what was true, I had my Grace family all around me, reminding me of truths like Psalm 35. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. 2 Peter 3.8 But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I would not always feel this sad. You know, there were plenty of times when I was tempted to indulge the feeling of being a victim. And well-meaning people are quick to validate victimhood. But what I found at Grace here was gentle reminders of who I was in light of who God is. I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Just because I was thinking something that, that long list, just because I was thinking it, it didn't automatically make it true. I needed to hold my thoughts up to the truth of God. This helped me to speak truth to the lies I was believing about myself and my future. Faith-driven God reliance. People were so kind to me here. There was no judgment. There was no... Um, you know, anything against me. There was just listening and reassurance. I remember saying to the elders, my husband just removed his income from our bank account, and he made significantly more than me. Um, I said to them, I understand if you can't pay me more, but I can't work here any longer unless you do. And within a day, they responded, we see your value here. We want you to be here, and so we're going to give you more. As time went on, God showed his faithfulness in countless ways. One day, an anonymous donation appeared in my mailbox that allowed me to pay off my car. People affirm the fruit of God's spirit in me and in my fear and in my feeling abandoned and lost, in worrying about how I would live and support my daughter, God reminded me of Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is not being done, the saving of many lives. My pain and experience is not wasted. God is drawing me to himself and God is drawing others to himself through it. He reminded me of Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am not alone. Mm. Of Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Of Isaiah 43.2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I am not crushed. God will help me. I don't have to be afraid. Of my life verse, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh my goodness, a good future waits for me. I don't have to be afraid to have hope. Of Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is always working for my good. And this was an especially challenging one. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. My struggle, my battle, was not against my husband who hurt me. and was not against the woman who he eventually married. It was and remains against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All of these truths help to shift my perspective from I am alone to 
God is with me and for me. And those are not just words. That was a heart shift, a perspective shift from this pain will never go away to God is working in this and this pain will not get wasted. From I have no idea what to do to God knows what to do so I don't have to be worried. From he is the enemy to my ex-husband is a human being who is broken and flawed just like me. I have as much potential for damage as he does. We are not enemies. Sin is the enemy. From this pain will last forever to joy will come. Joy will come. (laughs) Oftentimes I hear people tell their stories once they have the happy ending to share. I can't yet say God has given me my godly husband and partner in life. And as challenging as it has been at times, I haven't sought to fill the emptiness with someone just to have someone. But what I can say is God is with me and for me. He protects me and upholds me. And I am trusting him in the waiting because I know he loves me and will never leave me. I am safe with him. I am never alone. Faith-driven God reliance. My healing and hope come only from God, by his grace, and for his glory. Thank you so much for letting me share this part of my story with you today. Thank you so much, Chris. God, God is good. We've heard of God's goodness in Jacob's life, heard of God's goodness in Chris's life. Know that God is good. And he wants to reveal himself to and in and through you. This quote by Warren Wearsby just brought together so much of what we've talked about. He says this, that life isn't easy, but if we submit to God's disciplines and let him guide us in our decisions, We can endure the difficulties triumphantly and develop the kind of character that glorifies God. Would you just let these words just wash over you? Let these words wash over you. Life isn't easy, but if you submit to God's disciplines and let him guide you in your decisions, you can endure the difficulties triumphantly and develop the kind of character that glorifies God. This is God's desire for each and every one of us. Will you embrace his promises? Will you allow him to speak specifically to you? As we heard over and over in Chris's testimony, the word of God was spoken and it was received and it bathed over her. And God brought a transformation in her life. What an incredible transformation from fear-based self-reliance to faith-based God-reliance. That's the work of God but he needed a surrendered vessel. Will you be that surrendered vessel that allows his word to speak to you? The promise again that was given to Jacob that he was walking in, that he was standing on, declared, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. God is with you. He's watching over you. He's desiring to bring to fulfillment what he has for your life. Will you embrace him? Will you embrace all that he has for you. We're going to just go into a time with God where we're going to worship him and focus on him. 
I want to just lay these foundations as, as we do. And this is application for the week, absolutely. But as we go before him, I just want to encourage you to, to be responding to him in these ways. First of all, thank him for his word. Thank him for his word. His word is life. And that it has direct and specific application in your life. Embrace the word of God as a word, of, word to you. And then just yield to his transforming work where you are, the situation that you are in right now, what you are facing in life. Yield to his work. Be formed more and more in the image of Christ. That can only happen as we set our eyes, focus our eyes on him. I want to challenge you to rebuke the word and the work of the enemy. Stand on the truth of God. Allow his truth through his word to bring you life and strength. And just praise God that in him, we have the victory. So we're going to now just focus our attention in song. And I want to encourage you, again, make this time. Listen to what the, the word of God that is speaking to you right now. Respond, stand, walk, determine, surrender, and allow God to continue to do a deep work in your life. So as we go, go to God in song, if you feel, again, called to, to stand, to kneel, to come forward in prayer, whatever you, you are called to do, follow God and allow him to, to touch your life deeply in these moments.